In this dynamic episode, we focus on how to achieve optimum performance. Warriors, as you know, operate at a much higher level than the average man. Our special guest today is Dr. Mark Chang. He's a rarity in the field of acupuncture, Chinese medicine, traditional martial arts, combative sciences, and functional movement. Join us in this inspiring conversation where we're going to dive deep into what it takes to live a life that is fueled by optimum performance. Stand by. My brothers, welcome back to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, as always, I am your host. All right, check this out. It has been an unbelievable ride here over the last couple of months. I mean, we have literally, what is it now, two and a half, three and a half, almost five-folded, okay, our initial listeners on our podcast over the last two months. This has been absolutely a mind-boggling ride. I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart, okay, for real, no joke, from the bottom of my heart for being part of this movement. It is absolutely moving in a pace that I never truly expected. Now, this is what I'm looking at across the board. What I'm looking at is men, all right? Men like yourself that want to transform their lives and they're believing in this movement. They're, you know why they're believing in this movement? Because they're seeing other men step up and change their lives and transform their lives. Because there is such thing as living a life of a warrior, living a life that embodies that warrior spirit. All right, gentlemen, listen, there are very few men out there that are going to run to the sound of gunfire. And since I created this movement here over the last 11 months, I have been focused on putting that out there. There are men out there, even though they're far few between, that are going to run to the sound, toward the sound of gunfire. That is the entire goal of this podcast, to strap on some balls and increase and strengthen the courage, the mindset right, of men like yourselves. But more importantly, it's not just about combat. It's not just about running into the sound of gunfire. It's about using the tactics, the techniques, the strategies, the concepts that we get out of this podcast when we interview warrior-minded men. When I talk about it on Warrior Chronicles on Friday, these strategies, this infrastructure, this framework that we have created here for you to implement into your life is right there, man, at your fingertips. All you got to do is take action. And this is not just about, like I said earlier, combat, right? It's about implementing this into your life, into your business life, implementing this into your career, implementing this across the board in all aspects in of, of your life. And more importantly, this is what I'm looking at. When I get emails and I get DMs from guys that are saying, listen, I don't know how to get that fire back in my belly. I don't know how to strengthen my mindset. I don't know. I'm lost. You know what I tell them? I go, listen, start listening to some of the podcasts. Start from number one. All right. Move on from there. Take on the information that we've put out there that I've put out there. Fuck free of, you know, free of charge. So I urge you, all right, to take action in what you're getting in this podcast. All right, my brothers, if you have not done so already, please visit the Warrior Development Academy. Hundreds right now, actually, let me rephrase that, 205 
men are registered in the Warrior Development Academy and they have been kicking ass, transforming their lives step by step. We're gonna give you videos, we're going to give you resources, we're gonna give you webinars, we're gonna give you special podcasts. I'm telling you, this is growing day by day. So I ask you to take a good look at it, go check it out. I'm gonna give you 14 days for absolutely free. That's at forgingawarrior.com, forgingawarrior.com. I also give you, from the goodness of my heart, I'm going to give you a free warrior spirit manual, how to strengthen your warrior spirit. Go grab it at forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. All right, and as you notice, I'm giving you free, free, giving you free, giving you free content, free, 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 all this, you know, I'm giving it to you at absolutely no cost. The only thing that I ask from you is that you leave us a review on iTunes. It'll take you maybe three minutes of your time. This will continue trending this podcast higher, and that's what we wanna do, continue trending higher to disseminate this movement to more warrior-minded men, to make it bigger, stronger, because we need warrior-minded men out there. And if you can do that for me, I would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. The last thing here is this, all right? We are building the Instagram account slowly but surely. Every week or so, we're gaining about 100 followers organically gentlemen organically none of this bullshit okay so i want you to give me a follow at man of war with two r's all right enough of this let's jump into the show whip out your pen and paper because you're going to need to take notes dr mark chang welcome to the man of war podcast brother it is an absolute pleasure to have you on it's an honor thank you for having me man we were talking before the show here before we started recording and you have some great stuff for us uh, in store. Now listen, for our listeners, can you do me a favor? Can you introduce yourself? Gladly. Um, wow, where do I start? I think the, the main thread that binds all of, the main logic that binds everything that I do together is martial arts. So um, while it's easy to pigeonhole what I do in martial arts, or easy to pigeonhole what I do is like either the Tai Chi guy or the acupuncture guy or the kettlebells guy or the functional movement guy or the rehab guy or the sports psych guy um, really I think life in general uh, for most people the, the, the most productive thing they can do is to abandon that reductionist logic or that reductionist view and start seeing the, how all of those different points get connected together um, my driving passion has always been martial arts specifically traditional Chinese martial arts um, and through the practice of traditional Chinese martial arts over the year and the study of years um, and the study of that, that led me into Chinese medicine. So from Chinese medicine, um, that also led me into rehab, uh, which is like a lot of physical therapy oriented stuff, as well as strength training. Um, and then from there, that uh, the work that I did with both Pavel Tsitsulin, who is the, basically the father of the kettlebell training uh, movement in the States, um, as well as Gray Cook, who's the one of the founders of the uh, FMS or Functional Movement Screen, um, the work that I did with, and I continue to do with those two gentlemen, um, catapulted me uh, into the, uh, the consulting scene for different athletes as well as for different teams. Um, and recently, just got back from spending a month uh, in Pyeongchang, Korea, for the uh, Winter Olympics with the U.S. speed skating team. That's awesome. So listen, I'm gonna jump right into this, all right? I wanna talk about kettlebells. 
All right, let's start off with there. I'm a big believer in kettlebells. And, you know, there are a lot of people that say, hey, you know what, kettlebells is kind of, you're almost setting yourself up for failure and for injuries. I don't personally believe that, but I want your input on kettlebells as an entire fitness system that someone could really kind of take on. Sure. Uh, I think that statement that you're setting yourself up for injury is true for every sort of ac- exercise and every sort of endeavor. Like if you want to take up ping pong and you don't really know what you're doing and you don't really uh, you know, train well, you're not going to get the best out of it. I mean, if you look at some of the best athletes on the world stage, uh, you'd be surprised. They, don't, they, they look like athletes, even though you're thinking of ping pong is not really a sport. Um, similarly with kettlebells, like if you look at something that's like a, a, a like a cannonball with a handle on it that looks like you're just swinging it around willy-nilly in, in ways that are dangerous for your lower back, the reality is that if you understand the fine points of technique and alignment and, the, and understand how important it is to be accountable for those principles of movement, those postures, the, the ability to control yourself and the, and the object um, as you transition from posture to posture, that kind of training is anything but injurious, and it's highly rehabilitative. Part of the reason why I was drawn to kettlebells isn't because it was a gut check for me. It wasn't like, ooh, that's like the meanest, toughest, strongest, hard, most hardcore way to live. Quite the opposite. I came to it as a physician looking at one of my patients who actually, if you're not familiar with the story, and I've told this a bunch of times, um, one of my patients actually asked me to accompany him to a training session with kettlebells. Um, and that patient was none other than Guru Dan Asanto, who was, um, you know, the legendary Dan Asano, who's like Bruce Lee's top student. Um, Guru Asano at, at the time, and, and still is um, a patient of mine. Um, and he'd been recovering from a lower back injury, and I'd got him, gotten him stabilized. And he says, look, Doc, I've got this training session that – some of my, one of my students set up for me with this Russian weightlifting coach. My back is finally feeling good, and I'm a little bit concerned. Would you mind coming with me to observe this so that if the coach asks me to do anything unsafe, you as the medical professional can just say, like, you know, no mas. I was like, sure, Guru, whatever you like. Um, and so I roll over to the academy, and um, who drives up but Pavel Tsitsulin? You know, and I'd seen Pavel's ads occasionally and, you know, intermittently in different uh, publications. And so I was like, boy, this guy has a reputation for being rather hardcore, but I don't know anything about what he's teaching in terms of technique. So as he was teaching this, this session, as he was working with um, Guru Inasano, I kept thinking to myself, wow, everything that he's saying not only sounds safe, for the client, it sounds rehabilitative on the on the perspective from the perspective of a patient. Sure. So the more he kept working with Guru and Asana, the more I kept thinking, like, wow, this is stuff that we should have learned as medical professionals. Like, regardless of what style of medicine you practice, whether it's like you're a general practitioner, family practice MD, you're an osteopath, you're a chiro, you're an acupuncturist, whatever. If you don't understand how movement and strength training feed to feed into a better performing better feeling better working body then instead of creating a healthier individual you're just like bailing water out of a boat you know like trying to get pain off board absolutely 
So when I heard Pavel talk, I was so struck by how everything that he was having Guru do complemented the, the work that I, not only complemented the work that I was doing, I, I felt like it was actually picking up where I'd left off. Um, and so the more I got to hear Pavel talk, the more intrigued I was. And then finally, uh, I can't remember, it was, I think it was he, Roy Harris, and then Guru and Asana, the three of them uh, had started training together on Wednesday mornings. And then I can't remember whether it was Pavel or Roy Harris that said, so, Doc, are you going to man up this morning? And I, I think <laughs> I, I just got off my ass and started working with kettlebells that day. That's awesome. And so kettlebells, I think, are, are truly like, uh, you know, like any other tool, kettlebells, mace bells, uh, straight bar, whatever, fixed axis machinery. Everything's only as good as how well you decide to use it for whom. So as far as kettlebells, do you recommend like an individual that's first stepping on and says, you know what, I'm starting to exercise, I'm starting to get into this, you know, health routine. Do you recommend, say, starting off with kettlebells? Is that something that people could, you know, launch from? Or do you, do you recommend them having, you know, doing something else first and then kind of jumping into the kettlebells? I think it really depends on the individual. Like whether they're injured, they're, do, they're trying to come back from an injury, or if they're severely deconditioned, or let's say they're an athlete that you know, maybe they're already a high op, highly op, uh, operating athlete, but they've got some issues that they need to address. You know, the approach could be different. So, you know, we need to know who we're talking about before we can talk about what methods we use. Right, um, right. Are kettlebells something that are scalable to the individual? Yes. Um, and, and I think a good trainer, a really good trainer, knows how to give someone excellent training without necessarily punishing the body. That's, I think that's, that's probably the most important point I've got to make. Doc, so I'm going I'm to throw it out there here, okay? And I'm going to pinpoint yeah. an individual, all right? Say a, a guy that is, you know, 40 years old, you know, sure. six feet, you know, 200 pounds, up. Uh, decent shape maybe he's played you know some basketball some sports in his life but maybe over the last year or so hasn't done a damn thing okay and mm -hmm. but but he finally says you know what i am stepping up uh i'm in decent health i am stepping up here and i'm going to change my diet and where should i go first should i start off with crossfit should i start off just you know joining my gym in the corner or should i start you know taking you know specific lessons you know kettlebell um, you know, so that, I want to go right there. You talk to me. Yeah, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna say it like this: Have you been to a shitty Chinese restaurant? Oh yeah, many a many. Okay, great. Have you ever been to a good one? Hell yeah. Okay, so similarly, it's real easy to go, man. I, you know, after that first or second experience that you had at a shitty Chinese restaurant, you might go like, man, this is so foul. I will never eat this again. And based on that, those two experiences, you may like go, you know what? Screw all the rest. Similarly, like I don't think it's fair to say like all CrossFit gyms are bad or all CrossFit gyms are good or all kettlebell trainers are good or all tra kettlebell trainers are bad or what have you. Or same thing with the gym on the corner. It's really dependent on the individual. Who is the person running it and are they tuned in on the individual that comes in through their door? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's very tempting to, to paint people or paint groups or paint labels in broad strokes, and that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. Um, I think that tendency is part of the reason why the world is the way it is today. Um, 
but as as far as we go with that six foot two hundred pound individual that's basically you know not really that not really injured just needs to get in shape is willing to clean up his his diet like as long as he's got someone to coach him through the fine points of technique and give him the ability to train and add reps and add load and add time but keeping him accountable in terms of form and technique and keeping him safe then that's really all he needs in my eyes thumbs up man awesome that's good that's good to know all right now let's take this a little bit deeper all right so i mean uh first i want to know what it's like to train with uh you know guru dan and osanto i mean that must be a great experience huh dude i i've been with him since like oh four i think oh four was around when i started um, I'd known about him a lot longer, but as far as like logging in some regular hours with him, I think that started around 04. And it's been amazing like to, to have the kind of access that I have to him, to, to be able to spend the kind of time that I have with him, um, you know, not just in classes, you know, but also, you know, to treat him as, as one of my patients, to be able to spend personal time with him. Um, you know, just to even just get, you know, I'll be overseas and occasionally he'll send me a text or something like that. Hey doc, just want to check in on you, see how you're doing. Like to, to think that a guy of that stature is, um, has got you on his radar, um, is very overwhelming. So in that sense, like I, 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 man, every day, like when I, when I think about that, I, it, it just, it's, it blows me away. I'm you know, in spite of all the time that I've spent with him and all the, and, and I'm still a fanboy, So yeah, it, it's, it's unreal. That's awesome. I mean, he's i uh, I've attended a couple of his seminars. He's just a man. This is back years and years back in the nineties. And the, the dude is just unbelievable. I mean, and not only that, but he's very, very humble. And uh, he is definitely um, a guy, a warrior in my book, a guy that, has so much knowledge and, and has lived a life that truly embodies that warrior spirit and um, absolutely someone that I look up to very much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, I think one of the things that is most powerful in his message that I think a lot of people don't get is, you know, it, that, that message of accountability, that message of longevity, that message of having the right, motives for what you do like doing things out of love rather than out of hatred um you know being less judgmental being more accepting being more open-minded being more patient i mean like uh, if you if you were it's amazing because like in any given class he drops so much knowledge in so many different ways that even the most seasoned people it's very easy to miss stuff it's very easy to miss salient points whether philosophical or technical or what have you, or historical. So every class with him, you know, he's teaching for every level from like the total beginner to like the expert among the experts. Uh, And even though you're thinking you're hearing the same presentation, he's not presenting the same material the same way twice, any single time. Cool. Very, very unique. I mean, he's very powerful, man. 
All right, so let's get into the meat and bones here. All right, now I want to dive sure. into, uh, Doc, I want to dive into your expertise, all right? We're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about what you recommend as far as, uh, you know, traditional martial arts, how to implement that into into someone's life to be able to heal them from the inside out. How do we use... And we're going to talk a little bit about acupuncture, about Chinese medicine. So sure. first thing that I want to talk about here is as far as traditional martial arts, I mean, a lot of them get, unfortunately, now with the MMA movement, with the BJJ movement, a lot of these traditional martial arts get kind of thrown to the wayside. Uh, they get laughed at, they get poked at. Um, you know, I am, you know, there are some parts of me that, you know, or I get kind of pissed off at that because there is a lot of lineage there. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, some of these martial arts, you know, the practicality when it comes to street combat, to self-defense um, is not there, as you know. But yes. I want to talk here more about the healing aspects of the traditional martial arts. Can we go a little bit into that? Yeah, actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to address that point about please the, go right the, ahead, man. The, the street uh, viability of some of these traditional martial arts. Yes, and and I think my brother's just a quick break in the action here. Go check out the Warrior documentary at forgingawarrior.com forward slash Warrior Film. is inspirational. It really sets a good vibe. Uh, forgingawarrior.com forward slash Warrior Film. Through generations, there have been a lot of people that that got their rank based on an understanding of forms or the ability to regurgitate forms and while that's great and it shows good coordination and it, and it gives you a blueprint for techniques if you don't understand how to unlock the forms and you don't train those individual applications on a live partner first you know a, a cooperating live partner then a resisting live partner and then a contesting live partner um then you don't know whether or not what you do works for sure. You have a theory, you have an idea, but it can't be verified under stress and under duress. Um, and this is why I think you know guys like Tim Larkin, um, target focus trained Tim Larkin, Tim Larkin um, has a way of training that I think is very intelligent. Like you're just focusing on on creating injury um, as as precisely as possible. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be form-based. It doesn't necessarily have to be stylistically based. Um, and also the point about lineage. I think lineage is, is a double-edged sword. Like, it's great to be able to, to respect a lineage. It's great to be able to have a sense of identity. But at the same time, too, your lineage isn't going to cover your ass. Like, when it goes down, like, you can't say, wait, 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 I was trained by so-and-so. It's like, you got to, you know, yep. mm -hmm. just, you got to put up or get out. And And I think that, Teaching people character is super important in traditional martial arts. I think that's one of the things that, that a good traditional martial arts school or a good traditional master should teach and can teach. Um, but teaching character is not necessarily the same as teaching combat ability. And I think both of those characteristics need to be present in any martial art. To go to the point you were talking about as far as martial arts as a healing or rehabilitative um, art, I think the traditional arts have the potential to be super strong in that as well. 
Um, a lot of the traditional arts, especially um, some of the older school stuff like Kalari Payat from India or um, Taiji or Shaolin or um, Judo, for example, or Aikido, there are a lot of um, rehabilitative aspects of that. You know, Indonesian Silat, um, there's so much yoga built into it. Um, even Muay Thai, if you look at the... the um, uh, Ramoy or the Y crew, the, the pre-fight dance, like most of that stuff that you see in there is actually very sophisticated yoga. Um, and once you understand the, the need for that kind of training, the need for that kind of yogic training and how it prepares the body, um, not only for, for exertion, but also helps rehabilitate the body out of bad habits, you, you know, you appreciate it on a whole new level. The problem is that most of us, when we go into training martial arts, we're young and we're full of adrenaline, we're full of testosterone, and we just want to bang on some shit. The problem with that is that like, you don't appreciate all of the stuff that you wanted to gloss over or rush past until you're old and hurt. You know, But like, if you actually took the time to do all of that yogic, stance-based strength training, like sure. all the stuff that doesn't look like combat... Right. Right you'd realize that you prepared yourself for the most dangerous kind of combat, which is against your own mortality. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I like that. So as far as traditional martial, martial arts like Tai Chi and, yes. um, you know, when we start talking about the internal Chi and, and, and balancing out acupuncture with meridians um, can you go into a little bit of, of of that for our listeners, for them to understand when we talk about, you know, our meridians, when we talk about chi, you know, we're not just talking about this power that comes out, out of the fingers and then you blow somebody up and, and they fly through the sky. That's not the type of chi that we're talking about. It's a much more internal type of uh, of idea. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, um, there are so many different theories, and, and I think depending on the level of comprehension of each individual listener, they're going to tie on to a different facet of that. Like, Western biomedicine has already proven that there's a kind of bioelectricity that flows through our bodies. That's not, that's not open for debate. That shit's, you know, it's measurable. Um, our nervous system conducts electricity, you know, and a, lot of the, and a lot of the impulses that flow through the nervous system are electrical impulses. So, you know, one of the ways, one of the ways that people talk about chi is as a kind of bioelectricity. Now, what's conductive in our bodies? Pretty much everything is conductive in our bodies, you know, as long as it's not dried out and, and dead. So the lines of conduction are, you can think about them as meridians. Um, depending on, you know, like if you had a bunch of wires alongside each other, Wherever that, you know, uh, like, I guess, let's say you put an impulse in one particular wire, then, the, then along that wire, you'll have, you'll have a flow of energy. So that's, one, that's a, very, a very oversimplified way of talking about chi, but that's one of the ways that's easiest, I think, for, for the average listener to understand it. The thing is that, like, just as in, in, a, in a piece of electronic equipment, if the, if the electricity isn't flowing the way it should flow to all parts when it needs to flow, that particular device isn't going to have the best 
functionality, right? Like let's say your your iPhone, for whatever reason, the energy isn't flowing to the home button, right? And you press the home button like four or five times. You have to press it harder and harder to try and get any kind of reaction. And that's not an optimally functioning device, right? Similarly, like if let's say that you're there's not the kind of conductivity to the tissue that through which your kneecap is embedded, right? Then how your knee functions isn't going to be optimal. Right, right. So acupuncture or Chinese medicine works on the premise of like trying to create or correct patterns of flow so that the body functions in a more optimal fashion. Makes sense. There, There's, it, uh, unfortunately, the, the, the society in general, our society has, you know, they have their questions about you know what she is and if it and it exists but like you said it's been tested scientifically proven that that there is an internal energy inside of us and uh you know if applied properly it can technically help you heal right am, am i right on that you know applied properly or cultivated properly i mean there's a lot of things that we as human as like average americans don't really understand right the thing is that we need to be a little bit more humble about that because we don't understand it we can't out of hand dismiss it as like that doesn't exist or that's bullshit we need to be able to to go like okay i don't really understand that but let me let me research that a little bit more and try and wrap my brain around it um and if it's and if it and if like i've spent that one-on-one -on -one time in something and it still doesn't make sense but i could feel that there's something that works then i'll just go like okay there's something there but i don't know what it is and I can't explain it sure, because sure. I don't understand it well enough. Like, if you look at martial arts or training methods like Sistema, for example, right? A lot of people will look at Sistema videos and, and like go, man, that's bullshit. This is this, this is that. And it's like, you know, because you don't have the eyes to be able to perceive what's going on in that video or in that clip doesn't mean that it's bullshit. Like, you know, if you get on the mat with an instructor like mine, like Martin Wheeler, um, who's one of the top students of a guy um, by the name of Vladimir Vasiliev, um, who's one of the founders of Sistema. If you get on the mat with Martin Wheeler and you feel what he does, like, it's, there's no joke. It's real. It's 100% real. Like, I, you know, I, I, I have been very lucky to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with, with Martin Wheeler. And I can tell you he's, he's the real deal. And I came to him as a skeptic. Because I, I looked at system and I thought, man, this is this is some kind of bull. And then, like you know, when I felt it, it was like anything but. So a lot of times, when it when it, whether it comes to science, whether it comes to martial arts, whatever the field of endeavor, human endeavor is, it's like just because you don't understand it, resist the temptation to call it bullshit. Right. Um, I agree with you. And yeah, look. I've been training martial arts for 35 years. You know, I've, I've studied Zen Buddhism. I've been very much into that warrior's path. I mean, that has been my entire life, basically. You know, I've studied, you know, Chinese martial arts, you know, Kuk Lung Kung Fu going into, uh, you know, from my early uh, teens, very early teens, and then shifted over to Aikido, Judo, uh, you know, BJJ, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, Silat, and went on, you know, through knife training and all that good stuff. And I've always been more of a pragmatic guy. You know, when I talk about being a pragmatic guy, you know, I'm looking at things that are going to be being a police officer and being able to go out there and, you know, put hands on. And 
I want shit to work, right? I want, if I trained and honed it in the dojo, in the kun, I want to be able to say, hey, you know what? I've taken this, I've practiced it thousands of times, and I want to make it effective when the shit hits the fan, when I'm out there on the street, okay? So there is no doubt, Doc, that um, at times you even question certain things that you're like, man, I've trained this for so long and, and it's like, shit, this is just not working. But in reality, it's not so much that it is not working. A lot of times is the timing, the environment, the situation, just that particular movement, that particular technique, that particular philosophy should have not been applied during that situation at that time. It was the wrong connect. Now, going back, and I wanna talk a little bit more about these traditional martial arts and the healing, but let me just say a couple more things about street effectiveness and, and things like that. I, I have been there. I have been in combat. I have fought for my life. Um, and above all, mindset wins. All right. So we can train this and that all day long. But as far as technique goes, that's secondary to mindset. And I think that a lot of people miss that aspect, especially from traditional martial arts, from traditional type training ways that really instill that mindset, that really instill that, you know, that strengthening of mindset like courage, like honor, like integrity, like perseverance, right? Like bravery. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So... Let's dive deep into here, into the traditional martial arts and how they have changed you and helped you in your life. Oh, I think probably the most important way that traditional martial arts have helped me in my life has, has have been to just like have the courage to look inside and see what are the parts of me that um, aren't serving me. Um, whether it's dishonesty, cowardice, whatever, like just, you know, um, maybe I, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm too quick to give up on this or too quick to make excuses for that or whatever. I mean, like th- those, the ability to look inside yourself and look at yourself in a really unflinching manner um, and strip away your own bullshit is probably the most important and most vital thing that I've ever gotten Agreed. from traditional martial yeah. arts training. Um, because like it, no one kicks your ass faster than you do. You know, like other people may beat you down, but like if you've still got enough guts and enough heart, you'll find a way to win that fight or you'll die one or the other. But either way, you're good with the outcome. I think way too many people jump out of the fight mentally or check out of the fight mentally or emotionally before their bodies are ever broken. Um, And I think we as a society these days are, are too busy, like trying to make excuses for crappy behavior or crappy social patterns, um, like, oh, you know, this person has this, this person has that, I have this, I have that. Like, you know, we, we want to put everything into a diagnostic code rather than looking at what deficiencies are inside ourselves, inside our own hearts, inside our own minds, inside our own spirits, and actually overcoming, and actually doing the work to overcome that, like having the courage to overcome that. So, uh, you know, as far as that that killer mindset you know, to fight, like, yeah, fighting is, is awesome. And I think fighting and the, the, having to deal with the unpredictability of fighting other human beings really teaches you a lot about yourself. 
And so martial arts is a great tool to give you give you instant feedback. Like, what kind of human being are you really? Are you going to be the kind of person that makes a lot of mistakes and then makes a lot of excuses to cover with those mistakes? Are you going to be the kind of person that is very dominant and then a dick about it? Are you well, like, what are you? Who are you about? And martial arts really gives you a great um, avenue of exploring that. You know, actually, there's a there's a Lareña in Capoeira, um, in Capoeira de Angola. Um, it's called um, the Lareña of Mr. Pachinha. Um, and one of the last lines in the Lareña is like an opening prayer before like the Hoda. They open the Hoda in Capoeira. Cool, cool. Um, and it says... Um, Na hoda da capoeira, grande pequeno sou eu. So like in the hoda, in the in the ring of capoeira, um, I understand how great I am and also how small I am, how insignificant I am. Cool, so like yeah. that, the cool thing about that is that it gives you that 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 opportunity to to get feedback on who you are. Like how am I moving? How am I feeling? How am I dealing with the stressors of this game? Um, whether this game is like a, a fighting game or whether this game is like the mental game of life, like that—that's the thing that I think. Right, 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 right. Traditionalists have so much um, potential there for. That's awesome. I love that, man. Especially you know when we're—it's almost like a creed of that mind. You know, through that mindset that you know you develop, knowing that yeah, you might be in a dojo, you might be in a training facility, right? But in the end, you're just a little microcosm out there. You know, it's awesome. I love that. All right. So in the second half here, man, I want to really dive deep into performance training. All right. So I want to talk about, first off, let me, let me, give me a story. All right. Give me something that you went out there and you brought this person from struggling and whatever they were struggling in performance, and you t- took that person up to that next level. You know, uh, the things that, that stick in my mind are usually the ones like clinically with patients, like, you know, like maybe a pro athlete will come in and like they can't even straighten their back, you know, and how to get them back on the court, back in the ring, back on the field. Like those things stand out most in my mind, but like a lot of the higher functioning athletes and stuff like that, to get them to fine tune them is sometimes like an issue of like hundreds of seconds. You know, like how do I fine tune them in such a way where like they get that tiny, tiny, tiny edge? And in a case like that, I'm I'm not the kind of guy to to say that I did it. I, I say like, you know, okay, maybe I, I offered some training tips or maybe I offered some insights that may help them to feel better or to move better. But they're, the person, really the credit belongs to the man in the ring as a, as both a strength coach, as a performance coach and as a clinician. Like, I don't like to be the guy to say like, look, I did it. I did, I, you know, like, you know, you can do whatever, but it's up to the guy that's in the ring. Like he's the person or she's the person that, that really deserves the credit. So I, you know, it's tough for me to, to put myself in that spot. I hope you understand what I'm saying, Rob. No, I understand. So basically, what you're saying is, is I mean, you 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 might give something to someone, right, that needs that edge, and kind of let them apply it in their own way to function at a higher level. Is that, is that what you're saying? I mean, what, when we talk about giving them an edge or giving them something, what are you referring to? Like whether it's trying to. T- 
take them out of pain, whether it's uh, getting their bo- like helping them to get their bodies in a particular sports specific position yep, yep. In, in a with greater ease, whether it's um, helping them recover from an injury, whether it's helping them like understand a particular technique better. Like you know, if I'm working with a fighter and I get to say like, okay, great, you have this particular um, strategy that works well for you, but let's try it. Let's do a little tweak and notice that in doing that tweak you take no punishment or take less punishment and yet you get to dole out a whole lot more got it you know what i'm saying so it there for me performance is multifaceted it's like and it really depends on what the who the athlete or who the individual is that i'm dealing with right like if i'm working with a speed skater for them to be able to get their body into that low crouch position or that low lunge position uh and to be able to do so effortlessly easily and securely like that's a you know that's a big deal, especially if they're having to gut their way through that because of some pain or some sort of discomfort. Um, if I'm working with a professional basketball player, to, for that player to be able to, you know, after a, you know maybe after a training session, if their back is hurting them, to go from that to being able to run, sprint, dunk, whatever in a pain-free, powerful fashion like that, that could be the edge. Um, so it's it's very like yeah and and again for me it's like i don't i don't like to be the guy taking the credit like you know a lot of other i know a lot of my colleagues do but it's not my style like i'd rather just say like look you know i helped this individual in this particular way but really they're the ones that got to do their job you know they they're the ones that that deserve the credit that's very humble of you for sure you know like law enforcement for example i might be able to, to spend some time working like rehabilitative techniques or restorative techniques that don't take a whole lot of time right but maybe like you spend 10 minutes in your day and because you've got to wear the vest you've got to wear the armor you've got to be sitting in the car writing reports and there are certain um body mechanics that you guys are going to have to do a whole lot of during the course of your day that will predispose you to certain ailments or certain injuries well let's take 10 minutes out of your day and do the x y and z movements to rehabilitate you or to prevent those problems. Well, maybe that makes them feel better. Maybe that helps them recover faster. Maybe that helps them like like get out of the get out of the the vest and feel like, "Oh, I'm not like torqued up." Great, but they're the ones that still have to be the effective LEOs on the street. So, the credit doesn't belong to me. Still humble, my friend, still very humble. All right, so let's talk about the mindset in our society right now, especially when it comes to raising kids and, you know, and and that type of mentality that's out there. Unfortunately, you know, we've gotten video games taken over left and right, and we have, uh, you know, you can, people can challenge me all day long, and, you know, we can go back and forth on this, but I still believe that our society nowadays, especially the younger children, are being raised with softer mindsets, no doubt about it. What's your take? Couldn't concur more. Um, wow, man, what a loaded gun you're just you're dropping in my lap here. Um, <laughs> Love it. And and the reason why I say that is is this because like I think it's very easy for people who are absentee to blame something else, right? Like, oh, it's the it's the video game's fault. It's the music's fault. It's this fault. It's that fault. Like, let's face it. When when our parents were around, you know. It, 
what what was getting blamed back then oh my god this music the beatles this is like satanic something or other or this elvis presley stuff this is like sure. horrible this is this is going to lead kids down you know is it really the music or is it like the parenting is it really the stru- the social structure that these kids are growing up in and so like you know you and i we grew up and there was still pac-man and playboy out right. there back then yep. like how did we grow up compared to what we see the average kid like now and is the problem video games porn and violence on tv or is the is the problem that we have parents that are so spread thin and so hands-off and that we have a society now that basically demands that like hey if you scold your kid in public then you're you're belittling them as a human being and that's verbal abuse and blah 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 blah. or god forbid you spank a child for acting out like and and you know give them that moment of instant feedback then now you're you become an abuser so i think like there needs to be a swing the pendulum needs to swing back the other way i mean uh, granted there i think there is an intelligent middle ground but the key word there is intelligent and the and for something to be intelligent you need to have an intext have the ability to contextualize like not every kid needs to be spanked not every kid needs to be yelled at but there are some in some certain circumstances that yeah that needs to happen um and to paint in broad strokes to say like you know no not every child needs this or no not every child needs that or yes every child needs this or yes every child needs that Okay, every child needs air and water and shelter. We'll give them that, right? But a lot of other stuff is very individual. Um, and to be able to understand what context your kid sure. needs what in, I think is is very important. But I think it, it, in general, society these days is grossly lacking in discipline and accountability. If we had those two things, like real accountability more, what a different world we'd see. Do you think that the martial arts can help children, you know, get that refocused? I, I know, and this is, I run a kids martial arts program also, so it's very difficult from my point of view to say, hey, listen, and I tell the parents, don't bring your kids in here for me to raise them because that's not happening. Hey, that's on you, right? The ball is on your side of the court, not on mine. What I can do here is I can reinforce, you know, I can reinforce mindset. I can reinforce respect, integrity, honor, and so on. But you, as a parent, have to take that. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that, like, since I've posted more stuff, more and more stuff about my kids on my social media feed, like especially Instagram, I can't tell you how many moneyed individuals around LA have been like, hey, Dr. Cheng, uh, can we uh, send our kid over to you to train with you privately? <laughs> and, and these are people that don't have, don't, right. you know, there's no second thought about the price tag on it. Right, right, right. And so part of me is like, that's awesome. Part of me is like, damn, that's cool. But the other part of me is like, no, absolutely not. And so. I don't accept those individuals. And part of me is like, ah, I wish I did. And the other part of me is like, no, I'm glad I don't. Because if I'm going to, re- if I'm going to accept someone as a student, if I'm going to take that time out of my day, I want to know that I have total buy-in. Meaning like the kid has to understand like this is what you're going to do. There's This is not going to be a negotiation. You're going to be doing this shit. And if I have to negotiate with you, I'm going to negotiate you with you in a very harsh way. 
like, no, I'm not going to beat you in the next year, but I'm going to like, if you're going to, if you're going to spend a lot of time lipping at me, you're going to be spending a lot of time either in horse stance or you're going to be out. And if you're out, the door is not going to come back. So a lot of parents, I think, want to be able to throw money at problems. Like, hey, if I just throw enough money at this problem, then it'll get fixed. Or like, and, and to be honest, I think a lot of that is also part of the reason why we have such a pharmaceutical-based culture. You know, like, oh, if I, if I could just take the right pill, then it'll all, you know, oh, then everything will be solved. No, sometimes you got to do the dirty inside mental work or spiritual work. You know, to be able to understand what's at, what's at the root of these problems, um, and it takes a lot of hands-on. So, like even even with my own kids, to spend the kind of time I I have to spend dialing them in, especially when they're divided between two houses, you know, my house and my ex's house. You know, it's very time and energy consuming. So to have the bandwidth to do that for another kid, like okay, if there's a kid that's got potential and his or her parents have total buy-in great but as of yet the people that i've interviewed that want to that want to send their kids to train with me um they're the kinds that just seem like they want to throw money at problems and don't want to modify structures or modify um ways of life which happens yeah so which happens let me ask you something and uh, this has to do with kids and, and, you know, younger children. Do you recommend any supplements or, like, dietary components, say, from, you know, kids that are babies, toddlers, preschool, and kind of go on to elementary school? Hmm. I think most kids these days, especially in the States, the one supplement or the one thing that I wish that every kid, and every American kid that I've come across pretty much had more of in their diet is actually just fiber. Um, soluble fiber really um Mm -hmm. as far as like vitamins or as far as like um, mineral supplements or as far as herbal supplements and stuff like that not so much as long as the kid's eating a a relatively balanced diet um yeah i don't i don't really see issues of malnutrition i see more issues of like these kids are overfed and undernourished and part of the reason why is it like they're eating stuff that's so processed that it just lines the villi of their intestines. So like the, 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 the folds in their intestines where the, the capillaries are to allow absorption of nutrients. They're so clogged with crud that like they're not able to, to really absorb their nutrients. And, and you'll see that manifest as skin breakouts, as eczema, as fatigue, as mood swings, um, as, you know, uh, like poor bowel like these these sorts of things are, are readily preventable easily preventable just by making that little tweak in the diet interesting so you're you're thinking soluble fiber is really something that that could change as far as from a dietary perspective that can really help children grow yeah i mean really help children not just children i really i really think that regardless of age we as Americans, like if you look at the diet of the average American, we're so deficient in fiber that it's ridiculous. Like hmm. just by doing something like adding a bowl of oatmeal to the diet, man, like you'd be amazed at how different people's people's bodies feel and look and, and function. Interesting. Interesting. 
All right, talk to me a little bit about overstimulation, all right, when it comes to children. I mean, it, it, do you think that for the most part, children are just got so much going on and, and so much stress in their life as far as just doing things? I mean, w- what's your take on that? Because there is the other aspect where you have parents that are just kind of pushing kids to do, you know, and I tell you this from, from an experience, uh, you know, as a martial arts instructor here, I have kids that do, you know, piano uh, baseball, football, martial arts, and the kids are constantly, and then, you know, they get here and they're a little bit stressed out. And talk to me about that overstimulation. Right. I don't know that it's overstimulation as much as lack of recovery, what you're talking about. Like overstimulation, mm-hmm. I think, o- overstimulation to me, like I read that term and I, as, as there's so much stimulus coming in that the kid can't process it. Mm-hmm. I think most mm-hmm. kids, actually, their brains are so sophisticated that if you give them the stimulus, they'll be able to process it mm-hmm. you just have to give them the mm-hmm. context you have to we have to teach them the context to be able to process it in. Mm-hmm. i think what you're talking about is under recovery like mm-hmm. when you've got a kid that like this is an argument that i've had with my ex i don't know how many times like mm-hmm. if a kid's got a certain amount of stuff that he or she has to get done at school and they're up x number of hours at school and then there's soccer practice after school and then there's violin and then there's piano and on top of that there's all the homework that they're supposed to get done like mm-hmm. where's the downtime in that right so when we take a kid that's that fried give them insufficient sleep and then put them back on the bus to go back to school like of course performance is not going to be optimal Sure. Um, so I think what we need to do in cases like that isn't isn't so much like give them more shit to do, but but allow that stuff to be spaced out in such a way where they can they can digest it, and occasionally like giving them a week off of like you're doing nothing, just like okay you can go to school you can get your homework done but like all the extra curriculars for this week off. Interesting. Interesting. So you're di- making a, a, a good analogy here and you're you're different you know you're kind of splitting the two where it's you know one of them has to do with recovery the other one is overstimulation so let's talk about overstimulation yes um i think the the young mind children especially their brains are so plastic that they're able to handle a higher level of stimuli that come in as long as they have a way of being able to process it if too much stimulus comes in and then it becomes just like, oh, you know, like I can't deal. Then those kids or those adults will shut down. That's, that's, that's a normally sur- survival tech, uh, survival strategy rather that we all use. Like, you know, if it's too much, then, then we get cranky, we get withdrawn. We just, we just want to be out of that particular situation. And kids are certainly that way too. Um, but I think kids are, can learn how to multitask better than, we as adults can because their brains are still so um so plastic so so um adaptable like if you look at a little like a kid and you ask that kid to remember like 18 forms but you actually teach the kid those forms like take the time to teach them those those details they'll be able to remember it i agree like try and teach an adult 18 forms within the same amount of time it's not going to happen yeah so I think teaching kids how to be able to take information and contextualize it and then, you know, parse it out into where it needs to be in their head and in their life 
Good point. Good. Point. That I think is the skill that we need to spend more time on. Not so much reducing stimulus, but teaching kids how to adapt to stimulus. You know, like how how do I take that stimulus that's coming in, and how do I understand it, and how do I use that for my my best? Like whether it's I don't know background noise. Like some kids are so fixated on studying in quiet environments. Like they've just they've been told by their parents enough times, like it has to be quiet for you to study. That like they go off to college and then their roommates right. like got some like little bit of music playing in the background. And it's let's say it's nothing like excessive or super loud, but just that little bit of something is just enough to freak them out and, and make them wig out. Maybe we should be teaching kids to to be able to accept certain stimuli and just let it go. You know, like rather than teaching kids to to take a stimulus and then overreact to it. So what about adults with overstimulation? I mean, do you get that? Do you do you feel that at times adults can be overstimulated? Oh, sure, absolutely. And and I think a lot of it is for the same reasons. Like we as adults maybe in over our heads with certain amount with certain environments with certain stimuli because like we don't have the we don't have the training to be able to contextualize it you know like you see that a lot with young parents like especially when their their kids are are at that that age where like you know the eight nine ten whatever right and they and they've got multiple kids in the house and they're trying to be the the great dad or the great mom and like okay maintain a clean house maintain it like keep your kids well fed, you know, keep the kids going to all of these different things, still be in shape yourself, still be healthy yourself, still be involved in the community, still hold down a job. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that depending on, on the obligations at any one point in time, you may have to, you may have to modulate your, your um, involvement in those other things. Like for myself, right? There are times when, especially following my divorce, like I want, I knew I had to spend more time with my kids, sure, to make sure that they were adjusting well through the process. Right, right. And so it's like, okay, I understand this; it's obvious. So like, I'll I'll dial back my involvement in the clinic. I'll dial back my time traveling to teach and to work. And so, luckily for myself, I had a little bit of you know a little bit of fat saved up where like, okay, I can financially afford to do that. Um. You know, but no, I think no matter what you do, there's always going to be something that falls off the table. Like if I go and I get to train a lot and spend some spend a lot of good time on the West Side um, at the Inasano Academy or with Martin Wheeler or with whomever I'm training with, while those things feed my mind and 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 you know fill my spirit and help my body grow in in, in understanding, those things are also taking away from time that I could be spending you know, out here on the east side in Diamond Bar with the kids. So there's always a, there's always a, a something that's going to fall off the table somewhere along the line. And as long as we're ready to understand, ready to accept that there are consequences for our choices, we should be all right as adults. And as far as overstimulation goes, like, just like, what do I do when there's just too much, let's say there's like five kids in the room, because that's an issue that I sometimes deal with. <laughs> Five kids in the room, they're all like, they're, you know, it's, it's, there are moments when they're like herding cats. And so how do you deal with that? Do you just like suddenly go and meditate while the kids are breaking the house down? No, you don't. You regulate on the kids 
get them to a point where the, the situation and the environment is stable, and then you focus on just release, recognizing tension in your body, recognizing tension in your mind, and then releasing it. Awesome, awesome. Doc, what's the one thing that you wish someone would have told you earlier in your life, all right, that would have made things a little bit smoother Ooh. now? Dude, dude, dude. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, wow, so many. Um, I think a lot of things were told to me, really were told to me, like especially from my father. You know, my father told me so many good things as a kid, and it's just like, you know, like all kids, you hear certain things, and it's like you you don't really take it to heart, and then you find out thirty years later that what you heard as a little kid was so so true. Oh yeah. Um. So, man, I mean, where do I start on that? I, you know, <laughs> you know I posted one recently on my Twitter, on my Twitter feed, um, at Doctor Mark Cheng. Uh, and my dad, I remember my, this just hit me like the other day. My dad told me once as a kid, and it just, it just clicked the other day. He said that being a hero, it, what makes being a hero so dangerous isn't necessarily the bad guys. Because the bad guys oftentimes are pretty obvious. It's the people that think they're good guys, the average people, that don't have the ability to tell the difference between a hero and a bad guy. Awesome. Love that shit. Yeah, good. Like that, and I think you know, for yourself, you know, as law enforcement, that that's very that's very salient. I mean, like, we have a, a public out there that okay, yes, there's let's we've got to face it. I don't care how you slice it, there are some dirty cops out there. But for the public to start painting in broad strokes that every cop is a dirty cop, and start damning all law enforcement when they need when we as a, as a public need law enforcement. And we're, we're reliant on the good cops to be able to make sure that, that our lives are safe, that our homes are safe, that our businesses are safe, that our kids are safe. Like, we need to be a little bit more humble and being able to, and also a little bit more perceptive and a little bit more empathetic to be able to say, like, okay, there are some bad guys, but there are also some really good guys, and we need to appreciate the good guys a little bit more. That's, all, that's awesome, more. and I appreciate that because very... Very rarely do you hear uh, nowadays people speak up about law enforcement. And, um, you know, while you do see it on Instagram here and there, but for the most part, it's a very small group that believes that uh, law enforcement in general uh, is, you know, doing the right thing, doing the best they can. And then and, and I'll say this a hundred times over. Listen, I've been a cop for a long time and I could tell you that there is very, 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 very few guys uh, that I know that, um, or I knew that were, you know, maybe a shady cop here and there. And I got to tell you, it's, it's very, very slim, less than 1%. And in life, that's just the way it is, man. I mean, you can't, you can't have a million officers in the United States and say, Hey, you know, um, <clears throat> every, every single officer is going to be clean and not shady you know every single fbi agent every single dea agent every p municipal police officer is just not going to fly it doesn't doesn't happen so but i will tell you that the profession as a whole overall it is absolutely the the, the people that i work with the people that i know are dedicated to helping their community and giving of themselves no doubt about it 
and, and you know that's been my experience as well. While I, I haven't had the honor of serving as law enforcement, um, the many individuals that I've had the honor of working with in law enforcement, um, they're superb individuals. They are truly people that like I am not only honored to know. I'm grateful to have them in my life. I'm grateful to have them come by the house. I'm grateful to like. You know, I'm grateful that they're putting their safety and their family time and their their leisure on the line to make sure that the rest of us get to enjoy that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are certainly, uh, you know, of the hundreds that I've had the chance to work with, there's always a couple that are not quite on the same page as everybody else um, and are not necessarily an honor to the profession. But that's, that same thing holds true in medicine. That same thing holds true in martial arts. Yes. That same thing holds true in teaching. Yeah. That same thing holds true in religion, yes. right? So, like, I think what the what every group needs to do, regardless, right? Whether it's trainers, whether it's priests, whether it's doctors, whether it's law enforcement, is try to hold itself to a higher level of accountability. Agreed. Excellent. All right, so what advice, all right, Doc, what advice, just any little tidbit that you would give our listeners to kind of improve their life, kind of, you know, give them a little bit of, a, of that next level type performance, just taking that step forward, what would you give them? Oh, man, like the best one that I can think of to give anyone, uh, re- whether it's performance, whether it's rehab, whether it's a personal issue you're struggling with, whether it's any part of your life you're trying to improve, really the best piece of advice I can give you is get into a habit of making the difficult choices and then taking those difficult actions. Love it. Once you start building on that and creating momentum behind that, those difficult things become less and less difficult. They become habit. And then you become known in and of yourself as well as with other people around you as a person that will do the dirty work, as a person that will hold themselves to a higher standard, and is a person that will achieve the better results. Hell yeah. Love it, love it, love it. That is awesome. All right, so I'm going to throw this at you, and this is something that I ask all my guests in this show. All right, what is your definition of a modern-day warrior? Mm. Oof. Um, on a spiritual level, a modern-day warrior is someone who is willing to look inside inside themselves and look inside their their life and look inside their society, see all of the ugly things, seek out the ugly things and do their mm-hmm. damnedest to fix it, do their damnedest to improve it. Um, and in a tactical sense, the modern day warrior is someone that will not only do the spiritual side that we talked about, but will take the time to familiarize him or herself with all of the ways of, uh, of, of protecting um, and all of the threats that that jeopardize um, our safety. Very cool. So yeah, very cool, very cool. Spot on on that one. All right, Doc. Let our listeners know where they can reach you, where they can follow you. The floor's here. Thank you, brother. Um, I'm across social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm pretty active on those three platforms, and you can find me at at D-R-M-A-R-K-C-H-E-N-G. 
So that's at Dr. Mark Cheng on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, I also have a website, uh, drmarkcheng.com, which I'm in the process of updating. Um, I've also put together a Tai Chi-based uh, fitness-slash-rehab program for Beachbody, um, the company that put together the P90X. Um, cool. It's called Tai Cheng. Um, there's not only rehabilitative stuff in there, but also strength training stuff there, mobility stuff there, um, as well as some self-defense breakdowns as well. So I take some of the traditional Yang-style movements um, and break them down for you guys so that you can really understand it, learn it, make it part of your lives. Um, I also have DVDs out through on-target publications um, where I'm talking about deadlift form with Dr. Charlie Weingroff, as well as some bodyweight training stuff um, with my Prehab Rehab 101 series. Um, so check any of those out um, and would love to hear from you guys on social media. That's awesome. And for our listeners, I'm going to put all the links on our show notes so you can go ahead and link on them and then uh, go check out Dr. Chang. Um, what, what, one quick question before we go here. All right. And this is uh, hey. something that I forgot to ask you at the beginning and I didn't want to. Sure. All right. What martial arts did you start off training? Oh, did I start off training? Um, my father basically started teaching me like a blend of stuff that seemed like it was Chinese martial arts related. So Southern Chinese martial arts related. So horse stance, front stance, back stance. Here's how you punch. Here's how you kick. Here's how you block. Um, but the, as far as really formalized systematic training, um, that started around 10 with Yang style, uh, a derivative of Yang style Tai Chi. Interesting. Okay. Very good. So that's my dad. My dad really kind of... Um, opened my eyes to all that stuff and then uh, you know I had the you know after training with my father and getting basics from my dad um, at age 18 when I came out to LA um, I was fortunate enough to just suddenly get dunked into the who's who um, Shotokan Karate with uh, Tsutomo Oshima Sensei who's the guy that brought Shotokan to the US and translated the Karate do Kyohan um, trained Yang style Tai Chi with Professor Dan the late Professor Daniel Lee um, who was a Bruce Lee sure. student and also one of the first guys to teach um, Yang style. Um, I actually taught for Professor Lee at Caltech. Um, you know, it's in like, you know, of course now my, my teachers, um, Guru Dan and Santo, and uh, I hold an instructorship under him. Awesome. Um, you know, I've trained with Colonel Natapong uh, Buayam in Thailand in Kabikabong. Um, earned my black belt in combat so I under the late master um, grandmaster david lynn so and have a have a instructorship under uh the late master arthur lee um, from jiung in hawaii so yeah i've been lucky i've been really lucky so you've been blessed no doubt about it that's awesome truly all right all right doc listen man we have so much we, we left so much on the table no doubt about it and I would love to have you back on this show and talk about other subjects that I didn't even get to cover because it's just you're a, you're a wealth of knowledge, man. I want to say thank you for being on. Really appreciate it, my friend. It's my honor, really. Thank you so much for the invitation and for taking the time. Anytime. And uh, by the way, if you ever, ever are down here in Florida, I would love to uh, go out and have lunch with you, no doubt about it. We would dig that. Thank you for the invite. All right, Doc, stay safe out there. You do. There you have it, a great conversation with Dr. Mark Chang. You got to absorb what was said in this podcast. A lot of good information came out of this. And like I always say, you got to have action, right? You got to take action. If you don't take that action, 
This podcast is absolutely worthless. All the books in the world that you read are absolutely worthless. So fucking step up, take action, and implement and integrate what you learn here into your lives. Don't forget to listen up on Fridays for Warrior Chronicles. I have a good one coming up uh, this Friday. Check it out. Remember always to subscribe so you can get all the notifications. And until next time, remember your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.